Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice, Season 3, Episode 8. Today is Thursday, November 8th, 2018. My name is Bradley Metrock. I'm CEO of a company called Score Publishing based in Nashville, Tennessee. This Week in Voice is sponsored by the Alexa Conference, which is the worldwide gathering of the Alexa development community, executives, marketers, developers, strategists. If you're doing anything with Alexa, if you're thinking about doing anything with Alexa, if you've been doing stuff with Alexa since it all started, check out the event. We're going to have the link in the show notes. It's January 15th through the 17th in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Why Chattanooga, Tennessee? home of the fastest internet in the United States, according to EPB, which is one of our main sponsors. Um, It's going to be a great show. Check it out. Uh, It'll be well worth your time. We are very pleased today to have a fantastic panel. Our first guest is Pete Erickson. Pete, say hello. Hello, Bradley. How are you doing? Good morning. Good morning, Pete. Thank you for joining us. So, Pete, you are founder of Modev, you produce a lot of fantastic events, including the Voice Summit, which was this summer. Uh, really, uh, really nice job. Share with us what you do um, and all the different things you got going on. Yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, so Modem is an organization I founded 10 years ago, actually. It started as a meetup community uh, where I live in the Washington, D.C. area. I had just moved here from Seattle and was looking for folks to collaborate around this brand new iPhone and iTunes store that had come out and the, and the pending Android phone. So I started a community and little did I know what that would lead to. Um, the community grew, I put on a conference and uh, after that conference, that first conference, I came home and I told my wife, I said, I think this is our new business and uh, made, that, made the decision at that time to really embrace community building as my full-time vocation. Uh, so since that time, we have, you know, we have really focused on bringing people together around technologies and emerging technologies. We produce a number of different, um, different events. Uh, but last year, uh, having worked with Amazon for the last seven years and actually having produced the very first Alexa developer event uh, workshop, uh, we learned a lot about the Voice First community, and we felt like it, there was a need to sort of bring everybody under one tent. And so Voice Summit was launched, and we were really thrilled, uh, you know, with the results. And you were there. You know, people came from 16 countries, about 3,000 people. And, you know, the Voice First era is here. And I think what we learned is that, um, you know, there are those that are fully embracing it, and there are those that are still yet to really understand fully uh, what is happening in this market. It's a really exciting time. Um, we, we really look forward to your event, uh, to the Alexa conference in January and seeing the growth of the community just between July and January. And then we're, you know, we're excited to do it all over again next July in Newark, uh, New Jersey. No, that's great. And, uh, you know, you've been doing it longer than we've been doing it. Live events are part of our business and people ask, you know, is, is this a competitor? No. How, how many times do I have to tell you? No. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, I get the same question. And I, you know, we're supportive of other community builders out there. We, we know that the more community that is being built, the better for all of us. And um, uh, so, yeah, big supporters of other conferences and other folks that could look uh, from the outside as, uh, as competitors. But the fact of the matter is there are, not enough events to bring people together uh, based on the speed of technology and the rate at which things are happening. Uh, and there are so many companies and, and sponsors that need to get their message out that, you know, I think there's, you know, there's a limited supply. So uh, we're supportive of more, uh, the more, the better. Um, and especially of good organizers, people that, uh, you know, do a nice job of bringing the community together. And um, so, uh, yeah, definitely right back at you. Yeah, yeah. We're very supportive of high-quality events, and that's all that y'all know how to do, apparently. Pete, thank you for joining us. Great to be here. Our next guest is Brett Kinsella. Brett, say hello. Hello, This Week in Voice listeners. Thrilled to be back. Brett, thank you for being here. Uh, Brett, you are editor and publisher of VoiceBot.ai. As every week has gone along, um, my... uh, I don't know. I guess I might call it a scolding of the audience <laughs> for not knowing what your site is has, has escalated. 
Um, you, you've got one of the best resources um, that's out there, period, if not the best, uh, for this young space. Share with us what you do. Share with us uh, more about VoiceBot and, and all that you do with it. Sure. So for those of you not familiar with VoiceBot.ai, the way to think about us is a voice assistant, a voice assistant intelligence company. And really the way we manifest that is we write about 50 to 60 articles every month, which covers news and, and we break down, we do some analysis. We do research reports, which include uh, consumer surveys, as well as a deep dive analysis into the platforms. And uh, we have a podcast and then we now have a subscription newsletter. The su subscription newsletter grew out of the fact that there's a lot of information which doesn't really fit into reports or into news articles, but is really relevant for people who are in the industry, working every day, need to know stuff ahead of their competitors, need to know stuff before their clients know it. Uh, so, you know, to really round out that whole concept of providing voice assistant intelligence. And we started this just a little bit over two years ago because we saw a need in the market. We were doing research in the market ourselves. We couldn't find the information we wanted. So we started just publishing online what we found. And then we started adding our own commentary and, you know, it's not just me. So David Mutchler has been there from the beginning with me. Uh, Maddie or Baron uh, is, is working with us now as well, writing and, and doing analysis. And, you know, for us, we want to shed light on the industry, help people understand what it is and become a central information repository. And I was just thrilled. I heard yesterday, um, I'm, I'm at a, an event in San Francisco, which we'll talk about later, but uh, someone told me that, uh, uh, another person in the community has been calling us the Wall Street Journal of Voice, and I guess if if voice is like the equivalent of financial markets, you know, I'll take it because that's that's really what we're trying to do: serve both the the developer community, the, the brands that are trying to build on it, and then the people who are just working in the industry every day. So very much the same as the communities that that you and Pete are are trying to build, and we just you know provide you know different type of product and service for them. That's pretty high praise. Uh, that somebody gave you. That's fantastic. And it's well-deserved. Um, we've been having, you know, for the last couple of seasons, the voicebot.ai story of the week. And people will ask, you know, what's, what's the relationship there? Uh, you know, here's the relationship. We like what you're doing and we're going to keep highlighting your stories. <laughs> and, Excellent. Uh, yeah, we're going to enjoy doing it because uh, yeah, that's uh, you're, you're one of a kind. Brett, thank you for joining us. With that, We'll get to the news. And rather than a VoiceBot.ai story of the week, we have multiple VoiceBot stories uh, in honor of Brett joining us. Story number one from VoiceBot.ai, Amazon Alexa turns four years old. This evokes some emotions. Uh, this, this, uh, this is a, um, I feel like this is more of an emotional story than, than a technical one. Um, I, this is one of these ones that could be, you know, sort of a Rorschach test of sorts. Um, and I'm interested to hear what y'all think about Alexa turning four. Uh, and Pete, I'm going to start with you. When you read Amazon Alexa turns four years old, um, you do a great job, you know, cultivating these communities um, with all that you do. How does that strike you? Is it, it has Amazon done all that they should have done? Um, have they uh, exceeded expectations? Is there opportunities they left on the table? Um, where where does Amazon sit with this uh, this milestone of turning four years old for Alexa? Yeah, uh, thanks, Bradley. I you know the first thing I do is smile um, because you know I remember when the Alexa first came out um, and. Uh, there are some major technologies that have really changed my life. Uh, the first was the iPhone uh, and the iTunes app store um, that allowed me to build the Modev community. Modev comes from mobile development. Uh, and so that changed my life drastically. I created a business around it. And now I've, you know, created since then created a, a community uh, around that. And then when Alexa came out, um, uh, little did I know, you know, how much my life would change that, you know, this new technology would be something that once again, needed, uh, needed community and needed community building. So, um, you know, the, the iPhone and the Alexa have, have changed our lives because now we have this, you know, we have this conference and, 
you know, that's a, that's a big part of the work that we do now. So Alexa's really had a personal impact on me. And so I smile because of just how positive that's been. I also have to give Amazon a lot of credit. You know, from the time that Alexa came out, they got it out there in the market with their prime members. And then we put on a developer workshop back in, I think in 2015, uh, right at the time they were announcing skills kit. And if you go back to the Siri announcement in 2011, you know, one of the things that the developer community was clamoring for at that time was access to the Siri API so that they could include voice commands in their apps, but Apple wouldn't do it. And I think that, you know, if you look back, had Apple opened up those APIs back then and allowed developers to start to incorporate Siri, we may not have an Alexa. So um, Amazon has done a great job by filling that need uh, for giving developers access to, uh, you know, the Alexa skills kit uh, and then subsequent other kits. I mean, they're moving so fast. They're moving at light speed. I think, you know, we can remember a time when, you know, other companies would release products so quickly, it was almost dizzying. Well, Amazon's at that, at that rate now. And it's not just the consumer products that they're releasing, but on the back end, the tools and the engagement um, opportunities that they're making available to not only uh, independent developers, but to the enterprise, automotive companies, manufacturing companies, retail companies, um, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's great to see because they really are embracing the community. The challenge that they have is around monetization. And that's the next thing that needs to happen in order for developers to take that next step and further embrace Alexa. Um, so that's, you know, I would, I would give them, you know, high marks for what they've done. They're the market leader in this category because they've done so many things, right. Could they have done some things differently? Well, probably, but you know, this is a brand new market. So you've got to get out there. You've got to experiment and learn. And they're a company that's certainly willing to do that. This past week was not just the birthday of Alexa and the Echo, but it was also the two year birthday of Google Home and Google Assistant. And it's only a month off of the seven-year birthday of Siri being released on the iPhone 4S. So it's, it's kind of a momentous uh, a time frame in the, the world of voice and voice assistants in particular. And so I think about this idea that the modern era of voice assistants really started with Apple Siri. It set our expectations of what it could be. In fact, not just set them, it actually created the sets of expectations and wonder in terms of what what we could do. And that was like the first thing. But what Pete said is absolutely right. Amazon kept it or Apple kept it under wraps. They didn't break it open to use with the developer community. Even today, it only supports nine domains of so different topic areas. So it's very locked down. And you have to have actually a mobile an iOS mobile app in order to even use Siri, even in those nine domains. And so that just created a tremendous opportunity for Amazon. And what they've done over the past four years is really, uh, is, is really remarkable from what I, I can say. We think about it in terms of this idea of a generalized voice assistant that's not necessarily specific to a device uh, like Siri was on, on the iPhone. And then Farfield voice recognition and all these different services that people did not know they needed. It's very much like the, the iPhone when it came out, people didn't know they needed, you know, touch and swipe and all in the app store and all these things. But now it's just a part of every bit, everybody's daily life. People didn't know they needed a smart speaker and this Farfield voice recognition, but now it's increasingly a part of everybody's life. We've got a report coming out soon, which you know, shows it's up to 23% of U.S. adults have access to one of these. And that is Amazon. They created the category because of the way they came, came into the, the, the industry, did not have a mobile platform really to exploit, and just started this whole new revolution around saying there's these use cases, just incredible. And then, you know, props to Google as well, you know, having their two-year anniversary, uh, what they've done over the last two years, getting Google Assistant on 500 million devices, uh, you know, becoming a strong number two in the U.S. market in terms of smart speakers, but number one in a number of overseas markets. So, you know, if you look at those sort of three steps 
Siri, uh, Amazon Alexa sort of introducing people to it, Google sort of giving it massive scale instantly almost. Uh, you know, we that's the full story of what I call the modern, the first phase of the modern era of voice assistants. And so uh, props to to Jeff Bezos and team and Jeff Adams and all the folks who built that because it's just, it's really changed the way I think a lot of people uh, view how you can interact with technology and what the technology can do and where it can do it for you. It feels like Amazon couldn't have done a whole lot more. You know, we follow Amazon every week with the show I know both of y'all do closely as well, um, as well as the entire voice landscape. When the market was wanting to call all of this a fad, Amazon just kept right on trucking, right on investing in the space with people as well as the technology. They came up with these, you know, they've done this event now for a second straight year where they basically bamboozle us with as many new products as they can cram in in an hour. It's like um, clowns coming out of a car <laughs> with all the products, you know, uh, that they show off. Uh, they've done that for a second straight year. It's remarkable. The number of things that they've done over the years is just incredible. So I was working in voice starting in 2013. We we're doing it on mobile. When Alexa came out, we we're like, or the Echo came out, we we're like, oh, geez, I don't know. Um, you know, maybe, uh, but it seemed like maybe a, a novelty. And then, you know, as Pete talked about, they brought out Ask Alexa Skills Kit in June of, of 2015, and developers started jumping on board. And, and that, those seem like the big milestones, but it's really, there's so many milestones. I mean, just we've recently rolled out uh, Alexa presentation language, so like an easy way for developers to build for multimodal. Uh, we've got whisper mode. We've got all these devices, as you mentioned, and it's just one thing after another. And if you're a competitor in this market, it's like taking an artillery barrage every month in terms of trying to maintain feature parity. I think it's always important to look back sometimes at these things that have really had a, uh, instigated momentous uh, change and look at some of the things that they did and why it was important because it gives us a better understanding of where we are, why we are where we are, and where we're headed. Yeah, I'd agree. I definitely agree with you, Brett. I, I think that uh, it's going to be it's going to be in 2019 is setting up to be a really interesting year. And I would say that, you know, places where we want to look at, you know, as Alexa is in her fifth year it is around monetization. I think that there's going to be a lot of innovation there. And I think that you'll see it from both Google and uh and Alexa, and I'm glad you gave a shout out to Google Home because, um, yeah, they're doing a lot to catch up. And I think there's some stories that we're going to talk about uh, related to that. You know, people would ask me when we launched this show, uh, and I asked myself, is there really enough here to talk about this week in voice? Like, really? Is there going to be enough stuff every week? Like, mm. what? what <laughs> uh, yeah. Are you serious? And, uh, you know, because I, you know, at, at the beginning, I, I didn't really know what I was signing up for with this. And I don't think any of us knew in our respective areas, what we were uh, signing up for. But uh, I was wondering, is this going to be like this week and, you know, being an elevator operator, it's like, it's the same every week, you know, it's just, <laughs> or, or something like that. No, this has been um, incredible. And, and Amazon uh, has been at the front and center of that. So I'm yeah. as grateful for them as anybody else. You ready to turn this into a daily podcast, Bradley? Is <laughs> <concern here? laughs> I, if, uh, if somebody's invented cloning, then sure. Uh, if, if not, then no. I have a uh, I have a little uh, kind of metaphor I think with regards to Alexa being four. One one thing that Amazon allows is they allow you to bring your your dogs to work. So like you, if you're at the Amazon you know offices in Seattle at the day one building, and I mean the dogs are just streaming in. But you know this technology is a little bit like dog years. So you know four years is like you know twenty eight. So really she's not four; she's like twenty eight. I think that that's how quickly this technology is evolving so that, you know, within two years, the maturity of this technology is going to is going to reach a level where, you know, if you're any kind of organization out there or have any kind of product strategy, if you do not have voice first, basically, or if you're not building for voice first, you're going to be behind. Um, so a little bit of an analogy, I think, with regards to, you know, how mature the technologies really are and how quickly this market is moving. The next time Amazon has bring your dog to work day, Apple needs to walk in with Siri. 
<laughs> yeah, um, you know, it's every day. So if you're ever there, uh, yeah, you can. Uh, oh, it's every day. It's okay, every day. Yeah, there's a there's a dog park right outside the office, so that you can you know go and uh, walk your dogs, and yeah, it's pretty pretty amazing. Interesting. Um, yeah, no, we're we're. It sounds like we're all a pretty similar mind on story number one. Story number two dovetails off of it. Um, another voicebot.ai story. Google and Disney partner to bring storybooks to life. And the last part is not Voicebot's headline. I just wrote it. Shamelessly rip, ripping off novel effect. So we're now getting into the phase where, um, you know, everybody's been playing nice in the field. Um, and now we're starting to see more and more, um, especially as somebody who follows this uh, in putting stories together, you're starting to see things tighten uh, a little bit more every week, it seems like. Um, so Novel Effect was one of the companies that uh, Amazon invested in through the Alexa Techstars incubator they did, really the, the crown jewel of the first cohort. They went on and got a bunch of money from Shark Tank. They went on and got a, a follow-up round that was led by Amazon to the Alexa fund. Um, they've been a big deal. And here, uh, Google and Disney swoop in and basically um, do the exact same thing over in their ecosystem. And we've seen Google do this a couple of times. Uh, and when I say a couple of times, I really mean a lot of times over the last year and a half to two years uh, where Google has seen something that Amazon's done and they've just copied it. Whereas this used to be all that they did, now Google's out in front with, and doing some unique things like duplex and uh, some of these other things that, that Amazon has uh, themselves been playing catch up with. And Brett, I want to start with you. What, do, what should we take away from this story? Um, is, this, is this Google exceeding what Amazon has with novel effect? Is this, uh, you know, is this something that people should look at with, and with Google and say, hey, this is a reason to, you know, this type of thing that they do, you know, in, in matching Amazon is a reason to go into the ecosystem. Um, is this just another sign that Google's really good at partnerships, that they brought Disney on board? Inter get the tea leaves out and interpret this for us. So it is different than what Amazon is doing with Novel Effect. It's not different than what Novel Effect is doing. So Today, just to be clear, and I actually went back and added this. One of my colleagues wrote the original story, and I was looking at it. And I was like, oh, we need to make this reference to novel effect because it's, important, it's important to context to understand it. The key thing here is that uh, Google is allowing the microphone to remain open. So just, just for the listeners, what it is, I think we should be clear about that. You can read a story. There's four Disney books. You can read it. The voice recognition goes on in the background. And what it's doing is it's going to accent or punctuate different scenes and activities in the story with sound effects. And so those sound effects could be like a soundscape, like wind blowing, or it, it could be you know, a crash from something dropping and those types of things. And so it makes it this more immersive experience, but it, it's infusing the analog world of a book with the digital world uh, in order to to make it like the surround sound kind of concept and it's really cool but the, the key thing you have to be able to do in order for that to work is this the system needs to know where you are in the book and it knows that by doing the speech recognition matching it up for what page you're on what chapter all these other things and then it takes that as a cue that at a certain point it triggers these sounds and you know to create this so the an important point around novel effect is it is only on uh ios app today it's not on amazon alexa because amazon to date hasn't created a situation where you can keep the microphone open or at least that's what i that's why i believe it's not on there there could be other reasons as well but that's sort of the primary one and so in this case, um, I, I'm not saying that this isn't something Amazon could do. It probably could do this. Uh, but, uh, but Google's really first to market from a smart speaker standpoint on this, uh, even though Novel Effect really introduced the concept. And, and Novel Effect has a lot of other things that they're working on. I won't go into because I've had some conversations with that team on a private basis. The sort of the vision for that company is much bigger probably than a lot of people think. And the complexity... And I've, ha I've had some in-depth conversations with, with Matthew and Melissa about what they're doing, uh, including a podcast about four months ago. 
the complexity of what they're doing and how you need to bring publishers on board and all these things is really significant. What I think there's two things here. Google said, you know what? Media is really important and the media experience is important. So this is something that they like this idea of adding this media element for their uh, features for children. Uh, Disney's really, really focused on having a presence on these platforms. So these, all these things come together where you're saying, Hey, here's a way to make a, an existing media asset more immersive and interesting in the market. Google sees that as a differentiator to uh, get deeper in the media space and serve children. And, you know, I think it's, you know, it's a, a notification to, to Amazon that you can't just roll these things out and sit idle. You, you, you need to actually enable them. Yeah, I would like to add, uh, I think it's a really good point, um, Brett. I'd like to add that, you know, the timing of this is just in time for the holidays. And so I would expect that, you know, we would probably see something at the retail level where you're packaging up a, you know, the Google Home uh, mini device with books. And so look for those kinds of, uh, those kinds of retail links. And I'd also like to, it'd be interesting to see how Walmart is playing a role in this because of their deep ties with, uh, with Google. But, you know, the timing, uh, is really, I think meant to drive holiday sales. And I think that, you know, voice assistants have been a big holiday item, uh, previously, but this will be the biggest year, uh, for voice assistance at the holidays. And so these partnerships are really meaningful, I think, when it comes to uh, when it comes to that, you know, come to that comes to that holiday splash. Pete, are you suggesting that parents are actually going to buy books for their children this holiday season? <laughs> well, isn't it interesting that we see the convergence of offline and online uh, marketing through voice assistance? I don't think it's been done very well in the past. I mean, if you look at all the smartphone apps and you know, I'm a parent, you know, we just kind of like default back to books. But this adds a really interesting element. I can see that, you know, reading a book and having this interactive experience uh, alongside us is something that I think could be pretty compelling for a lot of parents and kids. Novel Effect, it should be said, you know, that Novel Effect was the first speaker that we booked for Digital Book World after we um, went out and acquired that event uh, from its previous owner. And, um, you know, novel effect is out in front of even this conversation in, in ways that, yeah, they probably don't want discussed. Um, but uh, it really Vanguard company. Uh, but it's 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 just interesting to see Google doing this. I completely agree. It'll have an impact on the holiday sales. But I want to dovetail this in with the third story, which I'll now introduce from Adweek, Google and Sephora are bringing beauty tutorials to the newest Google Home device. So my wife is a big fan of Sephora. I would never know who that company is uh, without that. <laughs> They're a, a juggernaut. Um, and I want to ask both of y'all, and Pete, I'm going to start with you, especially since you brought up sort of the partnerships uh, aspect in what you just said. A week or two ago on this show, uh, we had the same conversation on Google is taking a partnership approach. Walmart, Lowe's, now Disney and Sephora. Um, they're roping in different partners and um, bringing them in under the umbrella, which is starkly different than Amazon. Um, when Amazon sees something that they want, they go out and acquire it. So Amazon didn't partner with Ring. They went out and acquired Ring. Um, and there's been several other examples. And even as I mentioned previously, uh, when we discussed this a couple of weeks ago, even the partnership with Kohl's, where they put devices in Kohl's and did some things with them, had undertones of a potential acquisition. So Amazon is always, they seem to be in acquire first mode, whereas Google is in, is in partner first mode. Is there one that you think has greater benefit uh, than the other um, over the short term or long term, how do you view those two approaches of these two companies? Yeah, they're they're they are, I think, uh, starkly different. I think that the as these major retailers look for how to monetize voice, uh, I think Google's approach is is a welcome one for a lot of these folks because what they're what they're doing is they're maybe not necessarily trying to sell products uh, uh, through the devices, although that's something that uh, certainly will be enabled. 
but it's actually the experience of the product. So what they're trying to do is they're actually trying to enhance brand experience quite a bit. Um, and, you know, Google's going straight at that with the Sephora announcement and, you know, creating this, this interactive, uh, you know, multimodal experience through their brand and allowing people to experience their products in new and, you know, new and different ways. Alexa certainly can enable that. But I think that, you know, one of the challenges that Amazon does have is that they are in so many businesses and they are seen as the biggest competitor to most companies that are out there, whether you are a, you know, a retailer um, or a technology company, Amazon is seen as, as highly competitive. I think Google, given that they really are a search and advertising company first, um, they do have a bit of a benefit there and that they're not encumbered by that. And you will see that show up in some of these relationships. Uh, the however is Amazon has the reach. And so, you know, companies can't ignore that. So I'm sure that, you know, in addition to this, you know, Google uh, opportunity with Sephora and, you know, Disney's opportunity with Google and the um, interactive reading, you know, they've got a, they've got have to have an Alexa strategy as well, because it can't just be one or the other, but they are going to be different. And I think they're going to, you know, achieve different results. Well, I thought that was well said by Pete. I'm, I'm more interested in the use case in this idea and in, in, in actually the use case alignment with the device, which I really liked about this story. Now, Sephora has been out there. They've been doing, they were one of the first to do some really interesting things with chatbots. They're always looking for new use cases. And, and this idea that we have the smart displays, the question is what's the purpose of them? So David Limp said, he's from Amazon said at the Amazon unveiling of the Echo Show 2 that it's a replacement device for a television in the kitchen, right? So that's like one use case. You pull up recipes, you can engage with entertainment, uh, you know, while you need to be hands-free, eyes-free working in the kitchen. Uh, So then what are some of the other use cases for that, right? We have a television in the living room, uh, you could have drop-in and, and video chat. That makes sense. Facebook portal came out with that. And then Google Home Hub comes out, and what they really stress is smart home control. So you have a nice little visual display. It's basically the same thing that's in your phone. Uh, but you, it's, you know, maybe it's a nice little display. It's a small seven-inch screen, but you can actually manipulate locks and lights and all these different types of things. So that's, there's some utility there. But it doesn't have a camera, right? So you can't do video chat, which is probably the best feature of the Echo 2 or the, or excuse me, the Echo Show. Uh, so then, okay, smart home, fine. You know, that's good. I can still do that with voice. I don't really need a screen for that. There's certain types of media navigation, which can be helpful for the screen. Uh, but this idea of displaying information is really important. And it doesn't have the camera. So it's maybe more at home in certain parts of the home where you would be uh, applying makeup, uh, where people might have privacy concerns and things like that. So I saw it as like this, this perfect alignment of the idea that we didn't put a camera in here for whatever reason. I don't know really why they didn't put a camera in there because uh, all the other devices have cameras uh, in this space. But it's, it's kind of perfect that they could do this type of thing. You know, no one's going to worry about privacy. They still get this rich interaction. And it, it is the type of thing where voice is, it is voice first. So voice is the primary interaction method. But a lot of the information is going to be better conveyed through visuals. And so you having that right there, you probably don't have a, a screen in your bathroom or bedroom where you're applying makeup. And so having it there in this small device is really a great alignment. And so it, you know, again, kudos to both the organizations, particularly in Google, this sort of see the opportunity there and then to promote it in this way where they're putting it in the store is a way to you know introduce people to different things from a merchandising standpoint, but then planting that seed with the end user that, oh, I could have this same thing at home and I could not only see the Sephora stuff, but I could watch YouTube videos of my favorite makeup artists. In the publishing realm, it's been interesting to watch Alexa's uh, evolution um, and increased market share and then Google coming right in tow because a lot of that industry looks at Amazon and says, no, we're, we're not doing anything with you. And that's just a, re- a result of, you know, years and years of, of history. 
Um, but in general, it's interesting to, you know, outside of that one particular anecdote, it's interesting to look at how different groups of people view Amazon versus Google and, um, Google, it's my perception. Tell me I'm wrong. has got a little bit softer of an image, a little bit more cooperative, collaborative of an image, um, of a public perception. And it's because of things like this. I think that is the advantage they get from partnering in the ways that they do and not being, you know, in shark mode where, you know, if, if Amazon sees something that they like, you're always wondering when is that day going to come where they just do it themselves. Um, it's, uh, you know, if you want to talk about 2019 storylines, I, I think that that is a important one to watch to see which way this breaks. You know, if, if one approach ends up, vastly outpacing the other one. Um, you know, I, I'll, I'll be interested to watch that. Any closing thoughts on the story? Yeah, I think that, uh, I think that if you think it, uh, pull back a little bit, you know, one organization, Google monetizes information, um, and Amazon monetizes you. So I think that, you know, I don't mean that in an evil way. It's just how their businesses, uh, are different. And so that that's reflective, I think, in, in the approach here. Uh, I would just say that this is a use case that people care about. I mean, there's actually these smart mirrors out there, high mirror, some others have, have looked at these types of things. I expect to see more of this and it, it looks like it's probably going to be popular. Uh, the, the one thing I, I actually will just say one thing I'd say that uh, I absolutely agree with this idea of the shark concept around Amazon. If you think about it from a business standpoint, so more in terms of the ideas of their suppliers and partners and so that creates a little bit of a wariness sometimes around partnering. But from the consumer side, I think it's actually maybe a little bit different. Uh, so consumers love Amazon just because of convenience and all the things that it's, it's done and don't seem to be as concerned about the shark mentality other than this idea that Amazon's just going to try to sell me more stuff. So there's a, there's a little bit of an undercurrent of that. But for the most part, they've they've been able to skirt a lot of these concerns that people have about, you know, the way these companies make money and, and interact with you. I think Google has a f higher bar with consumers, a lower bar with partners, because the, the partners don't see them, as Pete said, don't really see them as competitive. The problem is consumers, they kind of know that, that, uh, that Google's selling their their eyeballs and information and that's how they make money. And so they always have to be a little more wary about the use cases they introduce from the consumer standpoint, because there's, I mean, you see this particularly in Europe, um, but it's also true here in the States that there's this wariness about Google collecting more information about me and how they're going to use it. Now, granted, most of the people like the outcome of that because Google tailors the experience for the individual and that's generally a better experience, but there's always this little, there's always this concern. And I remember, I may have even said this on your show in the past, but I, uh, you know, someone at Google, it, it suggested to me at one point that, can you imagine if Google was the first company to put a smart speaker in a home? You know, people would have said, oh, it's surveillance. It, you know, the Amazon's success with the Echo gave Google permission to be in the home. Mm, that's uh, and, you know, I, I look at this idea that they didn't have a camera. It might be kind of the same thing, yeah. right? And on, on HomePub that, they're like, you know, let's just hold off on that right now so that people aren't concerned. We'll be a little differentiated because we're the one without a camera. And then over time, if that becomes popular, we'll throw a camera in there and everybody will just be accepting because that's the way it is. Well so. put. Yeah, uh, that, there's a lot of ground you just covered there, but completely agree with the sentiment that it's, it's a different line of sight from how businesses view Google and Amazon versus how the customer does. Amazon is the customer's shark. Uh, that's the difference. So the customer has no problem with that. Um, but, uh, yeah, very, very well put. Um, we will move on to story number four. I, I nearly subtitled this, uh, and now for something completely different because that's what it's shaping up to be. Samsung goes all in on Bixby and Brett, you were talking about sort of having deja vu about talking about, you know, perhaps something on this show. I, I got deja vu from this article because I think, and I didn't go back and confirm this, I, I think that I used the same tagline, Samsung goes all in on Bixby, on a previous story like a year, a year and a half ago when they were making some sort of uh, major announcement that 
was on the road to where we are now, but seeing what they're doing with Bixby in the, these announcements that have come out in the last day or so, um, it's crazy. Um, it shows, you know, they're serious. It, it's a lot to take in. I haven't even had much of a chance to decipher it, but I want to start with you, Brett, because um, correct me if I'm wrong, you're out there and you've been sitting in on this. What do we take away from Samsung's announcements? What, uh, what should we uh, be looking at? The first thing I would say is Bixby 2.0 is different. And it's not just different from Bixby 1.0, but it's different from Alexa and Google. And it's different in some fundamental ways that are both exposed to the user as well as the developer community. So just to give a very brief history, uh, Samsung bought a company called Viv, uh, which was created by the founders of Siri. Uh, Doug Kitlaus and Adam Chire. Uh, they sold Siri to Apple and they stayed at Apple for a couple of years, but then left. And, and, and Viv became the realization of the dream that, that I think Siri sort of choked off. It was, you know, the, Siri sort of got the initial thing out there, but they had a much bigger vision that Apple clearly wasn't going to follow through on. And Viv was really that idea. So Samsung bought them in uh, October of 2016. And, then Bixby came out on the Samsung Galaxy S8 uh, in early 17, and that was not Viv. It was a legacy project that Samsung had been working on for a while before they bought Viv. Uh, fast forward to August 2018, and on the Galaxy Note 9, Bixby 2.0 comes out, and that is Viv. And what we saw today was, or what we saw yesterday and today uh, in San Francisco, is that they're rolling out the officially the developer studio around Bixby. And we also see that, you know, there were some early access folks uh, that were, that developed, um, that developed uh, what they call capsules, which is the voice apps for, for Bixby. And there's a contest and they're demonstrating those all today. I had the chance to sit through some of them yesterday. Uh, but so all those things, that's like where we are with the evolution, but there's a couple things that are different. So the first thing is it has context maintenance and personalization uh, f from, from the beginning. So th this is something that you don't really have on Alexa and Google Assistant. They've, they're starting to do more context maintenance from a session, but they're not really doing it. And sometimes through a device, but they're not doing a lot of context maintenance in terms of the situation that you're in. And then over time, in terms of this personalization thing, like what do I prefer when I book a, an airline? Do I prefer aisle seat, window seat? Is it different? You know, Adam Chire was, and I were talking about this yesterday. Is it, is it different if I'm doing a red eye because I wanna be, uh, I wanna lean my head against the window uh, versus normally I wanna be on the aisle. Uh, so those are all the types of things that Bixby has decided to do. From a developer's pr perspective, it's also different. It was really interesting that, that I, I got Chire on the mic for a little bit yesterday. And he said, this is not easy, which is really just weird, right? So everyone rolls things out and says, developers, come on board. It's easy, right? And he said, this is not easy. He said, there's a learning curve because you have to think about things differently. And I talked to several developers yesterday and said, absolutely. There's a learning curve. It's totally different. And these are people who have built on Alexa and Google Assistant. But what comes out of it is actually once you learn how it's set up, it does a lot of the work for you. Like they've got this dynamic code generation. You can just type in some text of what you want to do. It actually builds the program for you. And then, and then you can click into it and you can actually see through like a flow chart how it was built and you can start to debug it. And when you test, you can see where the issues are and things like that. Really, really fascinating. Okay, so all those things tell you maybe how it's different and and this idea that most of this idea that um, how you get into it is also different. So there's like three things I would point out. One is they really stress this idea of one assistant, right? So it's not, as Bezos said, there will be, people will have dozens of assistants and, you know, there'll be some that'll be domain specific and they'll be really good at that. You know, Bixby's really trying to be the, the one ring that rules them all. And, the reason for that is because they think there's a lot more utility in this personalization piece so that it is a true assistant for you as a person, as opposed to assistant to complete a task in any given situation. So that's, that's one thing. The second thing that they really talked about is, 
okay, are we late to market or not? Right. And so Kit Laus in his uh, keynote presentation said, you know, in 1998, when Google uh, launched, how many search engines were there? Well, there were 14. So Google was the 15th search engine and, and became dominant over time. So clearly Bixby is not the first to market and this Bixby 2.0 with Viv technology is not the first to market, but they're saying that it's so fundamentally different from what you've seen with voice assistants to date, that it's actually in a position to become potentially dominant in this assistant market. So whether you believe it or not is a whole different story. And then they add to this by saying, oh, and by the way, don't forget that Samsung produces 500 million devices a year. That's how many they produce each year, right? So it's billions of devices out there. Samsung said at CES that they're going to install AI in all of the devices by 2020. So every device that ships will have AI. All that AI is going to connect in one way or another to to Bixby because it's all an integrated system now. And so they're saying, hey, this is really different. It's actually not too late because it's totally, um, uh, because the value proposition is much higher from both a developer standpoint and a user standpoint. And there's a ton of scale from day one that you can reach people at. And so I'll just stop there because I, I spent the day, I've, I talked, I've got a lot of information on this. I've got some, I've got several articles that are going to come out on. I've got a couple of podcasts as well. And I think it is something to watch. I don't know if consumers are going to adopt this in droves, if they'll see the value, but it is different. And there's a strong case to be made that it is better than what you see out there. Yeah, I would say that, you know, Samsung does see themselves as the preeminent uh, device company in the world. And their culture is one that they're not going to shoot for, uh, you know, being third or fourth place in anything that they do. They're going to try to they're going to try to win the market. I think the reality that they're going to face is that there are multiple platforms out there. People are going to have multiple different types of assistance and interactions. And, you know, there are. There are other platforms that, you know, enable IoT devices that are not attached even to, you know, to the, to the internet. So I think that the, the idea that we're going to have one assistant that's going to be our best friend, um, I don't think that's going to pan out. But Samsung does have a huge install base. We've looked at doing some other projects with Samsung and, you know, just the number of smartphone users in the United States is really impressive. And if they can create an experience that allows people to have a voice interface, you know, with their Samsung Galaxy device or whatever other uh, device that they have, then they're going to get a lot of traction. Um, I also think it's interesting to hear um, uh, Brett's analysis on the uh, developer kit uh, that, you know, maybe the learning curve is kind of steep. So, you know, that tells me that there's a certain kind of developer that it's going to be easier for initially but it's probably not going to get the mass adoption. If it's not really easy for developers to get on board and start producing right away, that's going to be challenging as well. So I commend them for getting in this space. And I also I have no doubt that, you know, they believe that they're going to be the number one and that's the Samsung way. Uh, but, you know, we'll see this shake out. But uh, I'm glad that there's another major platform push in this market. It's actually only going to make it better and it's going to give developers more opportunities. So this will be a fun one to follow. Competition's a beautiful thing. And, yeah. you know, we're going to get, um, I completely agree with you, Pete. Um, you know, we're going to get a different Amazon in 2019, and we're going to get a different Google in 2019, and we're going to certainly get a different Apple in 2019, and a different Microsoft in 2019 than we were going to get otherwise. I don't know what they were going to do. We're never going to know now because now Samsung's throwing the gauntlet down with this thing. It's clear there's been a big response even in just 24 hours. And it's, uh, it's, it's having ripple effects in the market, um, even just from the very limited amount I've seen. And uh, Brett, I appreciate you turning on the fire hose for all that information there. Uh, that, the, the whole thing about the capsules I mean, you, you just you read about it for about two seconds and you, you understand this is this is a different sort of animal. It's been really well thought out. Um, and I like the idea of um, the programs writing themselves, you know, the skills or the uh, the capsules, you know, writing themselves. And uh, that's the type of development I like to do is where it writes itself. So I've been waiting for that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see that. Any closing thoughts on this? Uh, I would just say that that 
it's really impressive to see to see the system actually write the code automatically. They call it dynamic generation, uh, and it is interesting. And what what Adam Chire would say is, he said, for a long time, developers would just give instructions to computers, and what they decided to do is that there's certain things that the computer's better at than humans, namely logic. And there's other things that humans are really good at. And so what they've tried to build, build is a, an environment where the computer can do offload some of the work that the developer would normally do. And they just use the AI system in the background to do this. And so it's really interesting. The other thing I'll just point out is that apparently Adam started working on this 25 years ago. So, you know, we know about the history with Siri and then Viv, but he actually started working. He, he launched his first assistant about 25 years ago this past week. Uh, it, was, it was a private thing. It was done. He was with Stanford Research Institute at the time. Uh, but his whole career has been focused on this specific problem. And so the fact that it's really well thought out and maybe more complex than some of the other systems we've seen uh, whether that's better or not, who knows, but you can see that it ties back to this idea that he's been thinking about it and building something like this for a long, long time. So we'll see. We'll certainly be watching it here. I know both of y'all will be as well. I'm, I'm excited about it and glad, glad y'all are too. Um, we will close with story number five, young people more likely to favor female voices on voice assistants. Uh, we came out with a book this week. It's, it's shown on the, um, show notes. You can read about it if you're interested in that. It's an audio book in which we excerpt a lot of experts that we've had on this show talking about gender-related issues. And I lead that audio book off by talking about the fact that in starting the show, I never anticipated even remotely um, the concept of of gender, you know, being mentioned on this show at all, much less the amount that it has been, and uh, it's obviously in our public discourse all the time. I did not anticipate, probably stupidly, that it wouldn't be uh, a common refrain on the show. And here we are again with an article um, that really sort of captures some of the themes that have come up over the last uh, year or so on the show with this particular article. And, you know, we've got two men on the panel. I ask the question routinely when there are women on the show who are involved in the space, what is the best practice? Should a voice assistant be female? Should it be male? Should it be gender neutral? Uh, And we've gotten all sorts of responses. Um, I want to ask both of y'all, and Pete, I'm going to start with you. What were your thoughts as you read this article? What are your thoughts as you sort of reflect on issues related to gender with voice? Um, what has stood out to you? And do you think there is a best practice that you've seen um, in just following the space uh, like both of y'all have? Yeah, the first thought I had was, I wonder if, you know, if voice assistance had risen to popularity and the technology had been ready in the 1970s, what would the response have been? Uh, because of the HAL 9000 and Space Odyssey, you know, how was the first, you know, uh, voice assistant uh, driven computer that was, you know, really made popular in popular culture. Uh, and that was a man's voice. And, you know, flash forward to today, the first, you know, mass market voice assistant was Alexa with the female's voice. So I'm, I'm, I, I thought, well, I wonder if it's just because that's what they know and that's what they've experienced. Um, so, you know, I, I think that, it's funny, we, you know, I have the ways, right? And I changed the ways uh, to the uh, female voice uh, with a British accent. And I really enjoy that. Um, I'm not sure totally why, like what, what my reasoning is, but, it, but I do enjoy it. And I think that, um, yeah, I think it just comes down to possibly, you know, what people know. Um, but I, I, I think that, I think it's an important discussion. And I think that we need to think about, you know, why we're doing certain things. If you look at what Capital One has done with their Eno uh, chatbot, Eno is a, doesn't have any identity from a gender standpoint. And so people can sort of assign whatever they want to this chatbot. Now it's a silent chatbot, so it doesn't have a voice. But um, uh, it's kind of interesting that they took that path. Um, and, uh, you know, you can't totally do that with voice assistance, although I guess you, can't, you could create a voice that you weren't totally sure, 
But, um, but I think it's interesting. And I was thinking, you know, the first thought I had was, well, is this a, is this a function of time? And is it a function of, of experience? And, uh, you know, I don't know the answer to those questions, but, but I think it's important for us to definitely be mindful of why um, maybe we're doing certain things and are there biases that we're driving into that? Excellent. Brett, your thoughts. It didn't surprise me that people, that the studies show that people favored uh, the female voice assistants. Uh, I think we've seen a lot of data that suggests that that is the case. And I actually see things like, um, you know, Siri and Alexa and the, and the default voice for, uh, for Google Assistant being female is, is a sign of progress. These, uh, these voice assistants are smart, intelligence. I mean, people think about them as like doing things for you, but they're smart, intelligent. They, they help us become more intelligent, more productive. Uh, so, you know, I think that's, that's a thing as Pete said in the 1970s, people probably would have deemed that that had to be a male and that because it's, you know, it's giving information and, and there's authority behind that, that it should be a male. And I think that's what we find in most of the robot voices, uh, from the seventies and sixties were, were male voices. And so, uh, I not only think that that we have more female voices and it's actually well represented now because there's a lot more male voices. Watson's a male, um, uh, Google, you can change to a male voice, um, ways you can have male or female voices. So, so we see, we see a lot of this in terms of choice. So I think there's a, both a sign of progress here, but in the end, I don't think it shouldn't surprise anybody that, uh, people prefer female voices for some of these things because there is an idea that it, uh, you know, in, around uh this uh or excuse me there is this recognition that the big tech platforms don't generally just do things on a whim uh the reason why there's female voices is because they tested it and that's what people liked better and they're in the business not necessarily of changing mores or uh the way people think about it but they're in the they're in the business of responding to what people like and then providing that and so so yes, I expect to see more, but I just expect it to be a choice, you know, going forward. I think Google's really led on that, saying you can choose whatever you want, your voice, go for it. That's it a good does, point, right? Yeah, it, absolutely. It, it does seem like, just from my standpoint, that, that yeah, there ought to be choice in almost every scenario. It was interesting, um, and, and to talk about the 1970s, I completely agree i mean it would have been interesting if this had come about in some other time that was a little bit less um societally aware but uh you know maybe you would have a woman uh voice but maybe that voice would act differently maybe it would be more um you know subservient uh, or whatever uh as opposed to, to today but uh you know the fact of the matter is that a lot of the the women that we've had on the show uh, over since it began have expressed uh, anger is strong. I would say discontent over the fact that so many of these uh, voice assistants are female. And, you know, I don't know the science, the, the audio science about, you know, a higher pitch voice, maybe more palatable or, or any of that. I assume that some of it, that is behind it, but there, it, what I do know is that there is this very interesting interplay between the fact that many of these are female voice assistants, um, the fact of how users are engaging with the voice assistants, which uh, at least in part has to be led by the fact that they are female voices, uh, the decisions that the voice assistants make, you know, the people behind them on how the voice assistants respond to certain behaviors. There's this really interesting interplay between all of that and then also, you know, as this uh, audio book we released touches on, um, you can't discuss all of that without discussing children um, because children are a big part of voice first technology. Um, concepts of gender are formed um, early on. And, you know, in terms of promoting the right sorts of ideals and, and, and norms, um, you know, you just can't escape um, involving children in the discussion either. And so it's, uh, it's fascinating. I, I've enjoyed learning about it. And um, one thing I will mention, uh, just as a, as a closing note on it, Bank of America had a bot called Erica. And it was interesting to hear um, 
Luciana Morais, which who is now she was at Whitlingo at the time. Now she's at uh, Mobiquity, and um, Brielle Nikoloff, who's at Whitlingo, talking about the fact that yeah, even though we wish you know there was not so many like fem- you know the female wouldn't be the default on all these things. We like it for the Bank of America. Uh, as opposed to an authoritative male voice, you know, telling you what you ought to do with your finances. Um, you know, I, I thought that that was a very interesting insight. And that's one of the the audio excerpts that's included. But um, it's a brave new world. I, I you know, I um, never anticipated um, the volume of discussion there's been on it um, in three seasons. And uh, I'm looking forward to more. So I, I appreciate y'all closing the show with that and, and commenting in the way that you did. Absolutely. Pete, Brett, thank both of you all for being on the show. Thank you for sharing your time, your insights, your experience, not just with me, but the audience as well. Thanks a lot, Bradley. For This Week in Voice, Season 3, Episode 8. Thank you for listening, and until next time.